So this book uh, was written a few years ago. Uh, it's called Great Jewish Photographs. And the idea behind it was, we know that everybody likes pictures, everybody likes photos, especially in our generation. Um, you know, people don't like reading so much. I see that with uh, my own children. I see it with myself. Like it's, uh, you know, we're, we're much more graphic for whatever reason, I guess because of the advent of technology. So people, everything is, uh, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp and videos and clips and uh, it's much easier. That's, you know, if, as entertainment would go, it's, it's great. It's a great time to live if you love being entertained. As far as being scholarly, it's, uh, it, there's a very big price that we pay for being so graphically, mo- because you don't, have a, you don't have interest to start reading a book that looks like this, or, or, you know, or, or a book that looks like this, because it's, uh, you know, that's a lot of work, and it's tiring, and it's like, uh, I'd much rather see a clip. And if the clips are what like, gets me, and that's, that excites me, and that animates me, so then everything else by comparison uh, you know, is sort of boring and old-fashioned, and it's hard, and, and I don't have the focus. I don't have the ability anymore to, uh, to have that attention span. So, and we're suffering for it. We're suffering an individual. We're suffering as a generation, as a people. That's a different story. I'm not, I don't want to be one of these fetchy guys that are bemoaning the fate of, uh, of Klal Yisrael because Baruch Hashem, we have a lot of good that we, uh, that we do have and that we're very proud of. But what I wanted to do was, I wanted, you know, ever, anyone ever hear of Wayne Gretzky? So what's his famous line? You know, he has one famous... Okay, maybe that, but what else? That's the famous that, that, yeah, that, that's, that's for sure his? Okay, so I, I like a different line. He has a different line. He says, like they asked him, like, what makes you so great? He was known as like the great one, right? What makes you so great? He said, why are you better, a better hockey player than everybody else on the ice? He says, because everybody else on the ice... Is, is following where the puck is. And I'm following where the puck is going to. So, I mean, everybody's like obsessed with the puck and they're going in that direction and they're going to, but that puck is going there now. But in a second, it's going to be, he's able to see three steps ahead and see it's going to go there. It's going to ricochet up that guy's. And then, so I'm going to go there instead of going there. And he's able to almost divine like what's going to be with the puck. So, part of the motivation for me writing this series of books is to, because I see where the puck is going. I understand that a lot of people are not so motivated to read regular books. Their, their brains are so, you know, enamored by graphics and by, uh, and by quick, you know, instant um, fixes of, of technology and, and wow that it's very hard for them to really uh, sit down and study and learn and, and be inspired. So what I did was I tried to uh, like make a book or make a series of books that have the feel of what what the younger generation is used to, um, and I have a whole I have a book on great Jewish inspiration that has like quotes of very impactful short quotes. Maybe we'll do that um, a different time. Uh, like I said, we have books on the letters of Gedalia Israel, the treasures of Gedalia Israel, the artifacts, the books that they wrote. But this year, what I'd like to do, and I hope all of you guys are into it and that you come every single Monday at 1.40 um, and, and we grow together from it, is every day I'd like to, every shear that we are in together, I'd like to show you a picture of a gadol, maybe two if we have time. And then I'm going to tell you 
the background of this picture and the lessons that we could take from it. And if you want to ask or you want to add to what I wrote, or uh, then by all means, it's a free, this is an open forum over here. So you shouldn't, it's not a, this is not a classic lecture. Uh, it's more of a, of a way of being exposed to uh, great rabbis, great rabbinic leaders through uh, the prism of the camera. Now, this is not something that we have for a thousand years, right? When was the camera invented? Maybe uh, 150 years ago, maybe? So we don't have pictures of Rishinim. We don't have pictures of, pe- of Rashi. We don't have pictures of... But since the camera was invented, there has been a lot of great photographs, and many of them are classics, that really we can learn a lot from, and it's something that's very, you know, it's, I'm not telling you just a story and you say, yeah, I don't know if that ever happened, probably never happened, he's making it up, or he heard it from somebody that's making it up. Here we have pictures that are real pictures, real photographs, and they have a messiah, they have a tradition of like what the story is behind them, and we're able to really get a glimpse of greatness of the gadol um, from these photographs. And we have about 120 of them, I'll just like flip through it just so you get a feel of what's going on, what it looks like. So we have like a picture of, um, let's get a nice one. We get a nice picture over here, okay, rabbi, and then uh, tells you who the rabbi is, a nice, a nice title for the picture, and then it tells the story behind the picture. And so you're able to, and people, you know, I get a lot of feedback from my books, this is probably the one that I get the most feedback from because people really like it. It gives them a way of connecting with previous generations through pictures. It's, a, it's very interesting. You get a, a great like Musser shot or you get a great historical picture of what was going on. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating read. It's a fascinating read, if I must say so myself. Does anyone, did anyone ever see this book, by the way? You saw it? You saw it? Anyone else? Sorry. Sort of, okay. So I wish I, I could give out um, books to everybody, but um, I don't think I could do that right now. Maybe as the amount of people end up getting lower and lower, I'll be able to. I'm joking. But, um, <laughs> but uh, if it stays this way, it's going to be simply impossible. I'm sorry. But um, all right, so let's, let's do a one or two pictures, and then, uh, and then we will go every week uh, from there. So one of the one of the most famous pictures is um, let me just find it for one second. Okay, this is a great picture. It's funny. My daughter just called a second ago, and she was the one that actually took this picture. Now I don't know if you could see it from where you're sitting, but um, there was a great rabbi by the name of Mordechai Gifter. He was a Rosh Hashiva. Where tells excellent. He was uh, American-born. He grew up in, you know, I think in Virginia, in Portsmouth, Virginia. Very, uh, you know, his parents were from, but he had a very, I think he went to public school, very, very limited background. He ended up going to um, a yeshiva high school. Uh, somehow, someway, he got inspired to go to, uh, to learn in Europe before the, this was all before the war, and he went to Tell's. And with his limited background, but his brilliant mind, he was able to very quickly excel in his learning. And he became like the top guy in Tel's yeshiva in Europe, which was one of the, the all-star yeshivas, and he became an all-star of the all-stars. So it's, it's a very impressive story in and of itself. Now, when he was a teenager, when he was a teenager, 
he did something very interesting. In his high school dorm room, he had a wall, as many people do, uh, with Gedalim on it. Anyone in their dorm room, maybe, or at home, have pictures of, of Gedalim in their room? You do? Okay. So, you know, a lot of people do that in yeshivas. If you go to a lot of the, the, the dorms, you'll see guys that have, like, across their wall in their living room in their apartments, they have a ton of pictures of Gedalim. So if Gifter did the same thing as a Bakr, this is going back you know, I don't know, 90 years, 80, 90 years ago, maybe, maybe a little less. And he had like pictures, like, you know, picture, 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 picture. And then in the middle, he had, there was no picture. There was just a, a blank frame, a frame with a piece of paper in it. And the piece of paper said on it three words. Anyone know what those three words are? Excellent. Who said that? All right. Why not you? Why not you? Well, what does that mean? It means like he's asking himself a question. These rabbis that are on the wall, they, didn't, they weren't born, you know, as that they were going to des- be destined to be on people's walls as big rabbis to look at them and be inspired from them. They were regular kids growing up. They played ball and they, uh, you know, they did what kids did. But somehow they were able to motivate themselves to excel in their learning, in their Yerushalayim, in their Midos, to the degree that they are like, they're the all-stars today. They're the ones that you're putting up on your wall and you're, you know, you're showing your children, you're putting your picture, pictures in the children's cribs. This is what I want my child to grow up as. So Rav Gifter, like very simply, but very brilliantly, put in the middle of all of these gedalim a sign that said, why not you? It was a challenge to himself that don't settle for mediocrity. Don't say to yourself, that, okay, these are rabbis, I'm, you know, maybe if I'm lucky I could learn from them, but I can never be amongst this elite group of people. It's impossible. Who is little old me? No, no, no. Why not you? Who, who told you that you can't be great like they are? Where did you, why can't you be as great as they are? Why can't your picture someday be in the middle of, of this wall? And Rav Gifter took this personal, like almost like a, a challenge, like a dare, and he learned and he learned and he learned and he spent hours and hours in the base medrash not just during seder but way into the night and he would write down his chidushim his creative torah thoughts and he would send it to big rabbis around the world and he'd get back answers and then he went to europe and he became a tremendous gadol he ended up marrying uh the mashkiach of Telz's daughter i believe it was uh then the war broke out and they were somehow able to escape they came back to america and, um, and he, he became a rabbi in a certain few communities. One of them was Waterbury, Connecticut. Uh, before Waterbury became Waterbury, it was just a little sleepy town, and he was the rabbi there. He got a lot of learning done there because there was no one, no one really, too many Jews lived there. He didn't have too many, you know, levias to attend, too many hospital visits to make, too many speeches to give, because there were very few people. But he was, it was, it was nice years. I think he used to say those were like the best years of his life. He was able to really sit and learn, which is really all he loved to do day and night. When Rav Gifter, um, was asked to come to Cleveland, Ohio to op- help uh, build the new American branch of the Tal's Yeshiva, which again is the Yeshiva that he went to uh, in Europe, he, he left his Rabbanus and he went there and that was the next stage of his life. 
He became one of the leading Rosh Hashivas, one of the leading rabbis in the world, but specifically America. He had a, a beautiful English. He, he's a very eloquent speaker. I wish I would have brought in a, uh, like a, a recording of one of his speeches. It's very powerful. Maybe we'll do that once also. We'll, we'll, hear, we'll let you hear a little bit how he spoke, like very dramatic and powerful. He had a beautiful Yiddish. When he spoke Yiddish, it was also like a perfect Yiddish. He was very, very talented. And he built Tel's yeshiva, and he became literally one of the great American-born Gedele Yisrael. Now, I read an article about his, his wife, who's still, can I know her? She's still alive. She's not a young woman. She's about, she's probably, I'd say she's over 100, Leah Hara. And so my daughter and I went to visit her one fine day. I read an article that, you know, she lives in a certain, in her son's house, and that she has pictures on the wall, and there were her, her grandfather and her father and her, uh, you know, different great gedalim. And in the middle of all these pictures, is a big framed picture of Rav Gifter. So my mind, when I was working on this book, I said, wow, isn't that interesting? Why is it interesting? Anyone here like the creative angle in where I'm going? What? Right, when he was in high school, when he was a boy, he was, uh, that was his goal. He, why not you? And now all of a sudden I read that he was that he's actually in the middle of all the gedalim surrounding him, meaning like that the, the vision and the dream that he had as a child was actually fulfilled today. So his, his wife lives in, uh, in, in um, Tom's River, New Jersey, a city not far from Lakewood, New Jersey. And once I think I had a wedding to go to in Lakewood, I took my daughter and said, let's, let's, let's go. And we made a visit to them, to, to his Rebbitson and, and his son, of Gifter's son, and uh, so I said, I need to take a picture of this, uh, of this wall. And so they brought us into the dining room, and this is, uh, this is the, uh, the picture. I'm going to pass the book around, okay, so you can sort of get a feel. The picture on the right is with Gifter, and that is... Uh, okay, so that, that's basically like one idea from the book, how you see that, you know, how it actually became reality. Sometimes in life, when you have a dream, whatever the dream might be, and you really believe in yourself and you want to strive for that, you can make it happen. I don't know if, if it's true for everything. You know, sometimes we tend to overstay. I don't know if, if I would practice outside, you know, for the next 10 years, my, my jump shot, I'm never going to be Steph Curry. I think it's safe to assume that I will never have a three-pointer even remotely like Steph Curry. So I don't know if it, if it means like, but let's say I would have the height and I'd have a, and I'd have a decent you know, three-pointer and I would really believe in myself and I could say, well, Steph Curry doesn't have anything on me. Why is he great? Well, who says that he was destined to be that? And I, and I keep on really going for it. There's a very good chance that I could, in fact, be, attain greatness. And this is true for learning and it's true for business, it's true for law, it's true for medicine, it's true for anything that you really feel that you have a talent in and you set your mind single-mindedly to try to excel in that, there is a lot of reason to believe that you could actually be great at something. But it's a matter of really believing in yourself. If Gifter had not put that sign in the middle of his well, why not you? Maybe it's like, you know, who am I? Who am I, like, really? How, how could I 
But if you say, no, 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 why, why can't I be it? Like, ask yourself it in the opposite. Like, why can't I do it? Sometimes people have this misconception or this preconceived notion that I can't do something. Like, what, like what, what can't you do? You can't, uh, well, I don't know, I was told I can't, uh, I can't be a doctor. Why can't you be a doctor? I don't know, I was never really good at the sciences. I never, uh, you know, I'm not, you know. So get good at the sciences. Like, if you really feel that you, that you want to do something, if that's your dream, then you owe it to yourself to at least try. And if you really focus on what you want to do, then you could do it. It's just that we set our minds, like, so low. We set, I can't do it. Why can't you do it? Who says you can't do it? Maybe you really can do it. You're just not motivated to do it or you don't feel or maybe people have been telling you that you can't do it. And so that keeps on kicking around in your brain that you're not able to, uh, to do it. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now you can't do it. But there are so many times in life, thank you, there's so many times in life that if we would only, and I think this is a great lesson to take from this, particular, from this particular picture, that if we would really understand the greatness that we each have, we would be able to accomplish great things, but we sell ourselves short, and that's a very big problem because so many times, we really, we could be great, but we, we, we're afraid. We're afraid of our own, uh, you know, of, of ruining our own, uh, you know, a failure maybe, and we're told that we can't do things. We had parents that told us we can't do it. We had friends that told us we can't. And because of that, all right, I can't do it. Who says you can't do it? Why, do, why did you say that you can't do it? Yeah. How do you know, slash, is there such thing as aiming too high? So that's what I'm saying. I don't mean to say that, you know, that everything is possible. There are, if I want to be, um, I don't know, I, I, if I want to, what should I say? If I want to, you know, win the Nobel Prize in economics, you know, it, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to say that you can't, but there are, there are, you know, if I, if, if I'm, you know, I can't be Albert Einstein, let's say, but I definitely can't be him if I, if I keep telling myself that I can't be him. If I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm not gonna, if, like I said before, if I'm a decent ball player, but I'm not like great, then it would be. For me to say, come on, yes, you are, you could go, you can make it into the NBA. No, you, you probably can't. There are, aiming too high in certain, in certain cases, you know, it's not that you're aiming too high, you should never be afraid to aim too high, but sometimes it's just not realistic. Sometimes it's not realistic, just for whatever reason, for circumstances, for, you know, I, let's say I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm great at acting, or I have a great voice, I want to be, you know, I want to be in a Broadway show. That might not be possible, because, you know, I'm a from person, it's not, you know, there's Shabbos, there's Yantavim, it's not Sneha, whatever it is, you can't say, I could be anything I want, and like, and that doesn't always make sense. But there are things on a certain level that you probably could be, you just don't think that you could be. I have a Talmud, you know, and I tell him all the time, he's like, you know, people have told him his whole life that he's not so smart. Not so smart. I think he is very smart. He's very eloquent. He speaks very well. He's a clear thinker. But for some reason, he has like this huge, you know, gorilla on his shoulder that's telling him, you're not smart. You're not smart. And like, because of that, he never really, you know, he never, he barely graduated college because he didn't think he could get through. He did graduate college. But like I said, go for something like, you know, you'd be great as an, as if you would do this or if you would do that. I saw his potential. He said, no, nah, I can't do it, Rebbe. I said, why can't you do it? Why are you different than every other guy that's doing it? I don't know. My parents told me that. Who cares what your parents said? You're smart. 
You know, sometimes you have to take people by the lapel and tell them that you're smart because people have so conditioned them to believing that they're not smart that, that they believe it themselves. So, you know, there are times that it's not necessarily realistic to aim too high, and that might lead to disappointment, but sometimes it's not aiming too high. You just think it's too high. Meaning if a person like, you know, you could do anything you want. If you want to be a, a doctor, you want to be a PA, you want to be a Talmud Chacham, you want to be a, a lawyer, you want to be a businessman, you could do anything you want. It's a free country. America is a land of opportunity. You have every opportunity at your disposal. The main thing that stands in our way, generally speaking, is us. We stand in our own way. We stand in our way. We say, I can't. I'm, you sell yourself short. But if you would really believe, there's a great vart about... A bumblebee, I don't know if you ever heard me say this, but there, a bumblebee, ever see a bumblebee? It's like those big, fat, furry bees. And they say that scientists have no understanding of how this bumblebee is able to fly because aerodynamically, there's no reason, no way in the world that its little wings could lift up this big, you know, zhlub of a bee. It's like it's such a furry, heavy, like weighs like, a, weighs like a, you know, it's like a marshmallow and it's like being, it's flying with like a little, little, two little wings. And, and the scientists are, have been baffled, like they're working on this for years in Princeton, like to try to figure out like how in the world does this thing get off the ground? It's not normal. It's like having like a, the, the Goodyear blimp, like, you know, take off with like two little uh, paper clips. Like how does that happen? And the, the VART that they say is that the re- you're right, 100 aerodynamically, scientifically, it doesn't make sense, it's not shayach. The reason why the bumblebee is able to fly is because nobody ever told it that it couldn't fly. If I would have told the bumblebee, you ain't flying, don't even try to flap those little nebuch wings of yours because you ain't getting off the ground, you're not, you're not going airborne like, like you are, you're just not built for it, he wouldn't even try. The bumblebee would just sit there like a, you know, like whatever, and be one, like a caterpillar. He's not, not moving. But he said, listen, I think I could do it. And he tried, and he did it. And a lot of times, not always, I don't, I don't mean to like say, you could do it. You know, sometimes a person sometimes isn't, you know, isn't like naturally gifted or creative or whatever. I could be, you know, I could think that I'm very creative, but, you know, I don't know if I would be creative enough to, uh, I don't know, to write, to write ads for uh, the Super Bowl or to, uh, or to make a motion picture or to write a, a screenplay or something like that. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. I'm not saying that we could do anything that we want. You know, certain, obviously, you know, you need certain in, innate uh, somewhat talents, but if you're musical, there's no reason in the world why you can't write a, uh, you know, a, 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 a hit song. And if you're talented, there's no reason why you can't make a, a creative play or a book or something like that. And if you have a, the zitzvah to learn, you could be a very big Talmud Chacham. And I see it every day. I see people in the base matters developing into greater people than anyone ever thought that they could. But that's something that Rav Gifter's question, his, you know, his challenge to himself, why not you, is so important. You can always ask yourself that question. Like, why am I different than everybody else? Why should I not be able to be a millionaire or a billionaire or, a, you know, get into real estate, get into nursing homes, get into... Why are those people, they were naturally born with a, with a fortune cookie in their belly button when, as they were babies, and they said, oh, he is destined to be this. He said, no. Everybody is equal. Everybody can do anything that they want. As long as you have the desire, you have the, the talent, or, or at least the raw talent to do something, and you have the ability to ask yourself, why not you? And challenge yourself and raise your game to the level that you could be very successful.
Did you have a question? No, I was going to say the philosophy is not like, oh, I can do everything. It's I can do anything. Right. Right. I can do anything that I challenge myself to do, that I want to do. Even if I can't do everything, I'm still Right. Right. You can't do everything. That's for sure. We, we for sure can't do everything. In life, you have to choose. And a lot of times, by the way, a lot of people are very talented, but because they're so, they're so broadly talented, they do nothing. Like sometimes a guy is talented. I was just reading about a certain person the other day. I don't remember where. But he has, he's very musical. He's very artistic. He's very creative. He's very good at business. He's very good with it. So you think, oh, wow, this guy's for sure. But he's, he's, he's a wreck. Because he doesn't want to do anything fully because he's afraid, wait a minute, if I get into art, then my music is, my musical talent is going to go to waste. So I'm going to focus on music. But if I focus on music, my business is going to, so I'm going to focus on business. Like you can never, so he's sort of like paralyzed in, because of his many talents. So you can't do everything in life. You have to choose one thing and do that one thing as well as you could do it. And that is, uh, that is a secret to success. A lot of you guys are, are new. You're just starting college and you're maybe you know, choosing between different career tracks and you know, or maybe you already have been in college for a while and you, you thought you wanted to do something and then you, you took enough course to realize that it's not for you and now you're like rethinking and refocusing on a different tr- career track. That's very normal, by the way. It's very healthy for a young person to be able to, you know, to, to change and to pivot is very healthy. It's very normal. It's not, it wouldn't be normal if you knew exactly from day one exactly what you wanted to do and you actually went through it and the rest of your life you're living happily ever after from that knowledge of what you want to do as a young. Very rarely does that happen. We don't know what we want. We have to, you know, we're thinking, we're looking, we're exploring, and that's all good. But when you find something that you want to do, or you feel like there is something that you always dreamt of doing, then that's something that you should focus on, get excited about it, pump yourself up, do research into it, start the club, be the head of the, you know, let's say you decide you want to be, uh, you want to go for PA, which is a great field, by the way. You know, it makes sense. It's not so many years. You make a lot of money doing it, and you're in the healthcare field and whatever. Let's say you, you set your mind on that. You look into it. Now I'm the, I just became the president of the PA club. I'm a, you know, a physician assistant club, and now I'm the go-to guy that everybody's coming to for this and for that. And you make yourself into the poster boy of PA, and you're going to like be the specialist in that field. And then you could excite yourself, you could do whatever you want, but you have to like own it. You have to figure out what you want to do, get behind it fully, and tell people, this is what I'm doing. And tell your family that. And once you have that you know, that eagerness, that enthusiasm, that drive, then watch out because you're going to be like the best PA that you could be. You're going to be the best fill in the blank that you could possibly be. But you have to challenge yourself. You have to realize that you can be, you know, this that you, that you dream about. Don't say, I know, but I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not, thin, I'm not I don't have the best study hat. All that is, is sometimes... Sometimes there's truth to it, but sometimes it's just excuses. It's like you're afraid of success. And you should never be afraid of success. You should be a lot more afraid of failure than success. And amidst Hashem, we should all be zeicha to find what we're good at, to challenge ourselves, to ask yourself constantly, why not you? And amidst Hashem, we will all be very matzliach throughout our lives.